Livermore Live Music presents Spotlight. Shining a light on Livermore's incredible music scene. Here are your hosts, Rob and Doug Allen. Hey everybody, welcome to Spotlight. We're here at the studios of Advanced Creative in Livermore, and today the Spotlight is on the Bankhead Theater, and our special guest is Chris Carter, the Executive Director of the Livermore Valley Performing Arts Center. Chris, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, we're just ecstatic to have you here. Hey, before uh, we get talking to you, we always have a couple of orders of business that we want to attend to. So uh, first of all, we're all having a, a little something to sip here. Doug, what are we drinking today? This is Shotaway IPA from Altamont Beer Works, and we poured it in the wrong glass. Thanks a lot, Rob. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Virtual cheers. cheers. Yeah. All right, cheers. Um, the other thing, uh, and spoiler alert here, is um, I wanted to get a spoiler from my car. But I couldn't decide between uh, Darth Vader is Luke's father and Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. The first one. Uh, okay, go for the first so, yeah. one, right? Okay. Now, I told that joke once and somebody said, well, but what if they didn't know Bruce Willis was dead the whole time? And that's why I started it by saying spoiler alert. So if I just ruined it for you, you know, I did warn you. <laughs> Which did you pick? Oh, you know, I'm still thinking about it. Go with the Batman spoiler. Yeah. By the way, speaking of the, the Star Wars theme, so Obi is short for Obi-Wan and a Ani is short for Anakin. Do you know what Luke is short for? A stormtrooper. <laughs> <laughs> Two for one today. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Well, maybe we should turn to some serious business and talk to Chris a little bit. So, uh, so Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. Just start wherever you want. And how did you, how did you get here from there? Uh, yeah. So, uh, by the way, I love Star Wars jokes. So we could do that the whole time too, if you're careful. Will, <laughs> so, okay. Sorry. So uh, at some point, we expect you to share those with some um, of with us. Yeah. So uh, I'm a Pleasanton resident. Been in Pleasanton for 21 years. Uh, uh, I grew up actually in Austin, Texas. Oh wow. And we moved to California when I was uh, in high school. My my dad got a job out in Silicon Valley, and I went to Los Gatos High. And it's uh, been in the Bay Area ever since. It, uh, prior to working at the Bankhead Theater, I've been there for seven years now, uh, so, and I've been the executive director for just two. Mm -hmm. And prior to working uh, at the Bankhead, I was at St. Mary's College in Moraga uh, working in development. So, you know, the Bankhead Theater, or Livermore Valley Performing Arts Center is a nonprofit organization. So we have to raise money to keep the doors open. And so development is the fundraising side of, of what we do. And that's kind of, that's my training is in career-wise is in fundraising mm -hmm. and development. And I did it at a university for 11 years. Uh, being in Pleasanton, though, uh, I was getting a little bit tired of the commute and I kind of hit a, a ceiling and I wanted to continue to grow and try new things. And I saw a job for development director at the Bankhead Theater on Craigslist, of all places. Mm -hmm. And I sent my application in through Craigslist or whatever the email was. And I got the interview and they offered me the job. And this was in 2014. And at the time, it was a little bit of a risky proposition um, because the bank head was going through a lot of changes. And uh, I had a really nice, cushy, steady job. But I, I, I love the arts. I love music. I, I play an instrument. I've been performing most of my life. Um, and it's just been a big part of who I am. And... Before I took the job, this is kind of interesting. I was thinking about it, and I'd actually never been to a performance at the Bankhead Theater. And they said, well, you should come to a performance. And I agreed. And the, the, the performance that just happened to be that week was Leo Kotke, 
the 12 string guitarist. Oh yeah. Of course. And, uh, he's, he's like one of my guitar here. Like I, like I play guitar I, I, and I own a guitar that's actually signed by Leo Kotke. I'd never met him. And I thought, Oh, well, this is like fate. Cause this is my, you know, the, the coolest thing I own is actually signed by this guy who's going to play here. And so I went and I saw the show. I loved it. I brought my wife and, um, I met some of the people involved in the theater and I just got this really strong feeling that no matter what, this community was not going to value the, the space enough that they weren't, they were never going to let us down, you know, no matter how difficult things might get, there was always going to be uh, people that support it and will make, make sure that it works. And, and I, I just believe that I still believe it to this day. So I took the job as the development director and was kind of the first really traditional fundraising person it uh, uh, was it we were able to raise a lot of money and we, we did a lot of good things and but uh, one of the things I noticed about myself is I was really looking at um, what our executive director was doing and finding that what he was doing was really interesting to me too and we talked about that and I started to get more involved in, in his side of of the the work as well which is the programming and um, you know the facility stuff and 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 kind of managing uh, the, the operations of the facility. And uh, so I have this development and, and marketing background, and now I'm kind of learning more about this operational programming side. And so then when he, uh, Scott Kennison, who mm -hmm. was here before, great guy, when he retired, um, he uh, suggested me for the job. And so I applied and they, they offered me to the position. Did you apply through Craigslist? I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't have to that time. Um, but it, they did kind of put me through the process, though. It, was, it wasn't just like, okay, you got this. Um, but what was nice is I'd been there for a long enough time. I'd, I'd given a lot of thought to like how I would run things and what, what would be important to me and what does this space really need. And um, on the fundraising side, I, really, I already had a good connection with our, our donor base. And so that um, was already in, in my, uh, my, the, my abilities. So I think it made a good fit. And so I'm, I'm the first ED of the Bankhead Theater that actually comes from a fundraising background as mm -hmm. opposed to an arts background. But I, I think when a place like that, when half of our revenue comes through contributions, that's pretty, pretty important. Um, but uh, I, I've loved the programming side of all of this. The unfortunate thing is uh, about six weeks after I started, uh, we had to shut down with the pandemic. So that, that really altered a lot of things for us. But uh, fortunately, we're back open. It's uh, doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I see all your gigs on LivermoreLiveMusic.com, and uh, you you have you know quite the suite of music. In fact, I, I wanted to comment on that. You know, one thing we, we talk about with Livermore Live Music is it, or the, not Livermore Live Music, but the music in Livermore is it runs the gamut from a single artist with a guitar in a coffee shop up through national and internationally known acts that play at some of our, our larger venues, and the Bankhead is one of those. So you kind of represent the end of the spectrum of, I mean, you had incredible artists, you know, some not that well-known and some very, very well-known. Um, I, I imagine that's kind of a fun experience for you is to get to meet those people. Yeah, yeah. And most of them are pretty cool. You know, it's interesting. I Sometimes I talk to people and they go, oh, yeah, I know the Bankhead. And, and they kind of try and put us in a certain category of the artists mm -hmm. that we present. And I, I don't know if people always realize um, the caliber of, of of what what we put out here and you know there's a lot of artists and performers that are really 
A-list at the top of their game, and they don't perform in arenas. They don't perform in large spaces. They do they do smaller and more intimate venues, um, and a lot of it might depend on the genre. So you think about like jazz music. Um, most jazz musicians are not going to play at Shoreline Amphitheater. Mm-hmm. Maybe Kenny G or somebody like that. But uh, everybody else, uh, names you know and have seen on TV and everywhere else, they're going to play in a space like the Bankhead, yeah. like, like Branford Marcellus we just had on Monday, or a blues uh, musician like Robert Cray, who was there last last week. Um, and then we have uh, John Mayall coming in December. And you know anybody that listens to blues music is going to be like, Seriously? You yeah. John Mayall? John Mayall Bluesbreaker? Is that guy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's coming. And so it's it really is people who are at the top um, of their their field who, who we get to see. And I, that's a real privilege. And um, I haven't met, I could tell you some stories, but for the most part, 99% of the artists that come through are really cool. You ought to tell us a little bit about the programming challenges over you know six weeks after you become the executive director you have the shutdown so we should hear a little bit about what kind of trial by fire that was uh and the kind of programming just mind mental gymnastics you had to do to keep things up and running and interesting and then is there any kind of now that you're back to sort of normal or you're getting there is there any sort of regional consideration that goes into it when you're when you're booking these, or is it just what is the the best available that I can get for the day? How do you how do you approach the programming side? Oh, that's a lot of two good questions. Yeah, uh, well, when the when we had to close, so w- what happened was it was March twelfth, and um, Governor Newsom said, "All right, any any space that's more than two hundred fifty people is not allowed to operate," and that was us. We we're at five hundred, and we had a it was actually the third. March 13th, Friday the 13th. And uh, we had a show that night. It was a speaker series performance and we had to cancel it. We we, we, cut, we probably could have gotten away with doing it. And we just, I had this call with some of our board members. I said, what do you think we should do? And they said, let's just, let's just be safe. I don't want to do something that people are going to attend and someone gets sick. And so we canceled that. And then we canceled everything else for the next several weeks. So we had... Um, an Eagles tribute band coming that weekend that was sold out. We had the opera was in the second weekend. There was a lot of things that were going on. And uh, we initially canceled like shows for the next three or four weeks. And we had to, you know, just doing that is is a lot of work because you have to call all the patrons of the ticket buyers. You have to let them know that's been canceled or it's going to be rescheduled. Um so do you want to hang on to your ticket? Do you want a refund? We we usually don't give refunds, but in this case, it's like, we got to. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could donate your ticket back. Well, pretty soon it was, okay, a few weeks out, and then it was like a couple months out, and we just kept, it was like this rolling situation where we were continually you know, having to call agents and, and managers and trying to reschedule and we'd say, okay, well, let's, let's look at the fall and think, you know, this is March. Let's, and then, uh, and then the fall comes around and we go, okay, let's, let's look at next summer, you know, yeah. and most, they're all under contract. I don't want to um, not honor that contract too. So it's not just us and our patrons and our staff. It's all these artists yeah. that are really in, in deep trouble. And, uh, you know, and financially too, we're kind of like, well, what do we do? Cause this is our, 
um, primary source of revenue and we're having to give money back. And then on top of that, that day I had to tell everybody on our staff, we have 55 people on our payroll. If you're hourly, I don't have any hours for you now. And I'm not going to for the foreseeable future. If you're salaried, which there was a handful, I'm going to give you a 40% pay cut just to stay on. And um, we made really drastic cuts across the board. And, uh, you know, I felt awful. You know, it's like six weeks into this. And that, that day I came home, I, I cried. I just was, felt terrible about what I had to do with the staff. And uh, thankfully, pretty much all of them are back. Mm-hmm. And they, they were able to sustain themselves through this. And we were able to, like, we kept their health care going. If they had a health care program, we didn't get rid of that. And so we, we did a lot of things to, to, to do as best we can to take care of them. And the other thing I did as a fundraiser, I called everybody I knew that was a donor. And I said, what can you do for me right now? Or if you had a pledge, can you pay off your pledge? And they really kind of carried us through the first few months. And then we got uh, the EID out the disaster relief loan. Then we mm-hmm. got the PPP loan. And then this, this other kind of miracle happened is that we got our first estate gift in the middle of all this. So someone who had been a longtime patron had left us in their, basically in their will mm-hmm. and they had passed away and we got notification of it. And it's funny, I, I got the letter like before the pandemic that we were in their estate and it takes like six months and it's like, oh, that's really cool. But I didn't really yeah. follow up. And then once we shut down, I was like, I should see what that is. And it was their house in Livermore. They left it to us. Wow. And so we were able to sell that. And so all those things kind of really helped carry us through the year. And the other thing you talked about programming because we were, we still wanted to do things because we we're even though we we're closed, we okay. Well, what can we do? And you know, Doug, you were great because we we called you and or I can't remember you called us. I can't remember what happened. We mm-hmm. we knew you somehow, and um, we thought, well, let's let's get some local artists and let's just film some concerts. And but the thing is, I can't afford it. I, I can't pay anybody. And uh, so you donated your services, the artists donated their services, the the site, we did it at Retzlaff Vineyard, they donated the site, everything was donated. And then we were able to uh, put these videos out there and people could make donations while they're watching the video. And they could also tip the artist, you know, give money to the band as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and by the way, one of the things I've always wanted to do, even I've been as I was the development director, I've been thinking about forever. It's like, how do we, I mean, you know, better than anybody, there's all this local talent that's really, really good. Yes. So it's like, what do we do to support them? You know, I can't always put them in a 500-seat theater, but maybe there's some other things I can do. And this was a great way to get some introductions into that world as well. Right. And and I just want to comment, by the way, and a couple of times you have put local artists in a 500-seat venue. And uh, near as I can tell, those have been pretty successful. But I think, to me, that's another feather in the cap of the Bankhead or the Livermore Valley Performing Arts Center operation is your interest and willingness in supporting local as well as these incredible bands from all over the world. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I I, I perform too. You know, I, I like to get out there and perform. And I'm I'm not as good as most of these other people, but I still know, just for my own sake, I know how hard it is, especially if you're doing original music, how hard it is to get your foot in the door anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I want to hear original stuff. I, and even when we did those those shows at the Vineyard, I told all of them, I want I want to hear your original music. Yeah. Don't do covers, play original stuff. 
and let's feature your art and your work. And uh, so I, I, that was wonderful. We did that. Uh, we still were able to do some camps and art classes and things like that, all virtually. Um, we did a, uh, a fundraising event uh, that was virtual as well, and we were able to raise $200,000. And that one, I got videos. We, we contacted some some of these national and international performers that had been to the Bankhead before that always sold out and did really well. And I just said, hey, can you do a five-minute video for me? And they all did it for free. So we got like Paula Poundstone and Keiko Matsui and Jake Shimabakura. Like they all did it. And so it was just amazing to me. Like I, I, it's like part of me, I, I was thinking about like how much gratitude I have for the community for what they did. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I, I think... They did that because they have gratitude for what we do, mm -hmm. and um, so it really reaffirmed that I'm that we're in the right business and we're doing the right thing, and pushing the arts out to the community in a, as a meaningful way as we possibly can. No, you're absolutely right. And we've talked on this show before about the unbelievable generosity of the Livermore community. I mean, I know this show seems like one big Livermore love fest, and it kind of is, but for good reason because people here, you know, donate a lot. They're just so generous with their time, and they care a lot about so many things. Um, Doug had asked, and, I, and I'm equally interested. So, talk a little bit about um, your approach to programming, and how do you how do you think about? It and how, I mean, do you have a do you have a dartboard or a, a <laughs> you know a Ferris wheel that you that you spin to pick bands? Yeah, or? there's there's a lot of ways to do it, and um, we we work on it kind of year round. Uh, it, but I'm we kind of look at it as a, as a season. So um, the season is kind of roughly matches what a school year would be. So mm -hmm. starting in the fall and ending kind of in the middle of the summer. And um, so right now we're in our 21-22 season. And um, we we haven't announced, I've booked shows for further beyond that, but we haven't announced those. We're probably going to wait until the spring to announce those. Mm -hmm. So that'll be for the following season. And um, so there's a couple ways we do it. One, we get recommendations from people. So if you have somebody you think would be a good fit for us, right. I'll do the research. And I'll be, yeah, that, that might work for us. Or, uh, I don't know, maybe not so much. And I, I look at, um, you know, there's services that we belong to, this one called Polestar. So you can look it up and you can see what's the average ticket sale for an artist in a venue, what's their gross revenue. And if it's roughly similar to what what we do, then it's like, okay, this is in our ballpark. If it's something a lot less, then I go, oh, I don't know if I want to book this person. It's too much of a risk. If it's a lot higher, they're they're too expensive for us. Mm -hmm. And then the ticket prices would be too high. That won't sell either. And so you kind of have to find that sweet spot. And um, I do have a lot of relationships with agents. And so there's conferences we go to where you meet with agents and they say, here's my roster. Here's what's touring next year in California. Are any of these a fit for you? And a lot of them know our venue too, and they'll they'll point out. Like, I think this would be a good one for your space, or this could be a good one for your space. So we kind of look at it that way. Um, so, but you know, you you want to know what what's the artist fee? Uh, always ask for the writer, because sometimes the fee is not that bad, but then the writer is like ridiculous, yeah. and the, the writer is like all the stuff they need. Right. So it could be what's called backline. So it's like all they tour, but they don't tour with all their amps and keyboards sure. and all this stuff and their drum kit they just come in a van and so you got to get all that stuff and if it's kind of crazy or if, you know if it's a 20-piece band and they got all, all this backline what's the most what's the most unreasonable thing you've ever been asked for in a writer uh, 
Well, uh, th- that we actually con- contracted to no, do? No, no, just no. The, the oh. craziest thing that you were asked for. Both. Answer both. <laughs> Answer both. Well, I don't know. There was some of them, you, you know, it depends on who they are, but some of them, like, we don't, we don't provide booze. And a lot of writers will ask for booze. Mm-hmm. And, and it's shocking, like, how much booze they ask for. Mm-hmm. And alcohol, you're going to have to have, you know, there's like three of them. And it's like, okay, we need, you know, two bottles of this and we need, you know, a case of this and a, three bottles of wine. I'm like, really? For three of you? For one? You're going to be there for an hour uh, before the show. Do you really need that? Um, that's always, I always get shocked by the booze require, requests. And usually, and we always say no. I just cross that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then they'll want like their own private office space for the manager with a, a wired uh, internet access and, and you know, things like that, or the food has to be a certain kind of food yeah. or, um, or you have to, I, I don't know. There's all sorts of things. We had one that actually wasn't like, it didn't bother me. It was actually kind of cool. This one artist asked for a dog to pet. And oh, we did yeah. provide that. You know, oh. I know someone who has a therapy dog and I said, you want to bring your therapy dog and I'll get you a ticket to the show. And, and I thought that was perfect. That's yeah, like that, kind of yeah. a cool thing. There you go. And so we have a picture of this artist sitting on the, you know, on the floor with the therapy dog, just kind of, just getting loose before the show. Um, but uh, most of them are pretty straightforward. A lot of times we'll do like what's called a buyout. So instead of saying, I'm not going to provide all this stuff for you, but I'll give you 500 bucks and you're you're on your own. Yeah, Get it, get what you want. Uh-huh. Um, so it just kind of depends. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Most of the ones we get, the writers are pretty um, simple. They're not too bad. I've heard of other spaces, like if you talk to Wente sometimes when they get some of those bigger artists, yeah. the writers are kind of ridiculous or it'll be like, you can only have white in the room and people can't look them in the eyes and all this weird stuff. There's that there's that great scene in Spinal Tap where he's, David St. Hubbins is sitting in the back whining about the sandwiches and the, the, the bread's the wrong shape. And I, yeah. <laughs> I imagine it's stuff like that. Yeah, there's things like that. Um, but most of the artists are pretty cool, you know, and we... You get these things, they ask for it, and you just cross it out and you sign it. Say, I'm not doing any of that. And mm-hmm. I still come anyways. They want to do the show. Yeah. So it's not that bad. You think they're, sometimes they're fishing trips. They're just, well, we'll just ask. And all, yeah. all they can do is say no, right? Yeah. They yeah, want to make exactly. sure you're paying attention too, right? Like, you oh, actually good point. Have to, some of them put weird stuff in there just so you look at it, I think. Good yeah, point. Yeah. Probably. You know, one thing we do a lot is we, we advance a show. So about a month out, our production manager calls the road manager mm-hmm. and they go through the backline stuff. And, and they kind of come to some agreement, like, well, I'm not going to get you this, but I can get you this. Mm-hmm. And so when I write, f- sign the contract with the writer, I'll, I'll usually say per advance. So I'm not guaranteeing any of this stuff. We're going to look at it, but we're going to negotiate it and during that advance stage. And so and most people are okay with that. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's also, uh, it just occurs to me to comment, it's at such a different level than most of the live music in Livermore, right? Most of the gigs are like, we just created a system called Connect that is set up to let venues and bands figure out when they're both looking for a gig on the same date and email each other. And usually that's the extent of the arrangement for most of most local music, right? Is the venue talked or emailed with the band and they say, okay, yeah, we'll be there at three. We'll play for three hours and we get paid X dollars and that's it. Um, and you know, only once in my, uh, music performing career have I ever signed a contract. Yeah. Um, but where, I mean, that's that you, you're, you start at a level 10 above that with what you do. Um, well, it's interesting yeah. with the local artists that we have booked for the stage. Like I have to write the contract <laughs> right. and then they sign it and, and you have a writer. Well, well, it's funny. <laughs> um, 
Then you have to it's show kind of time. a weird thing <laughs> because I don't really know what they need and yeah. they have to kind of work it out. And, um, you know, I, I want them to have a good experience. And so sometimes I'll give them advice. If they're big enough to play in our theater, they need to get a manager or somebody to negotiate this stuff so they don't need to worry about it. Because sometimes they'll, maybe they'll say, oh, yeah, if, you know, because the production, well, do you want lights? Do you want this? And they go, oh, yeah, we want this, we want that. And guess what? That's coming out of the expenses. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, the check I'm going to give you is a lot less mm-hmm. than, but you, they don't know all the time the cost. And it's, they, it's, they need somebody representing them. Yeah, it's like when sense. you're the artist, you just should just be the artist. Don't worry about all that other stuff. Find somebody else that really knows what they're talking about yeah. to, to help you with that. Yeah. And for many of them, I'm sure the thrill of just being able to play on the big stage has more to do, well, yeah, it has more to do with yeah. the thrill than the check that you're going to give them, which is also nice. But um, I hope so. I, but I like giving them a big check. I think that's cool too. Yeah. You know, it's nice to to pay somebody some. You know, the most they've ever made for a show. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Yeah. And we'll book somebody, and I'll say, well, what do you what do you usually get paid? And they'll tell me, and I'm like. I'm going to pay you a lot more than that because we're. I know we're going to sell this many tickets, and this is how much I'm going to pay you. And they go, "Wow, that's awesome!" And it's and it gives them a sense of what they're actually worth, right? And what they should be commanding. And, and, and I'll mention, by the way, and it also helps build this sense of musical community that <clears throat> that surrounds Livermore and makes us, uh, you know, special. Maybe not unique, but special. In other words. That, you know, there's a sense among the bands and the performers here that we're we're somewhere special. There's two day town, right? Is a is a community thing that happens every year that binds a lot of people together. But the fact that that people can aspire to um, at least go watch, if not maybe someday actually be the local band on the stage, is another thing that makes this community special and it brings people together in a way that all respect to every place else that's got live music. You know, it's all great, but. You know, it's another thing that elevates the the you know the situation here in Livermore, and it makes bands want to get better too. And yeah. you know, that's another. There's it's not by accident that we have so many great performers here. There's a bunch of things that that make them want to up their game, and and the fact that you have local bands playing at the Bankhead is one of those things, one of those magnets. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting too. Is like, I I know as a performer. I'm going to get paid the same amount of money for a gig that I would have gotten paid 20 years ago for the most part. And that's really the hard thing about this industry. Yeah. And they, I, I really think if artists need to command more and, and people need to pay more and there, there's value in what they do. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. There's, there's a lot that goes into being a, a, a talent at a certain level and there's people should pay for that. And, and it's, I really want to push that and make sure that people understand the value of what's out there. And well, that's, one of it's the, such a sad thing that that doesn't happen. Well, one of, the, one of the lesser objectives of putting the whole Livermore Live Music um, construct together, but especially the website, was hoping that somewhere down the road we could figure out a way to quantify some of this. And I've taken a couple of shots at it, but and I'm open to suggestions, by the way. But the idea being... Is there data that would help us show the venues that when you have a band playing there, you make this much more revenue than if you didn't have that band? And, you know, out of that delta, what's an equitable 
amount that the band ought to be paid. Just bands saying, well, you know, I'm not making any more money than I did 20 years ago won't motivate very many venues to throw another 50 bucks at them. But if you can demonstrate that the venue made an extra $400 that night because they had a local band playing there, then, you know, it's a different conversation. So if you ever have any thoughts about how to help us, you know, build some of those metrics, uh, I'm all ears. Well, you know, what I, one of the things that I look at when I book performers is I go to their social media and I see how many followers do they have? How active are they? And um, that'll help me decide if they're going to bring people out. And I think that should be the same for local artists too. And if I'm a local artist and I'm, and I want to perform at a venue and we're negotiating a price, I'm going to tell you, well, here's how many people I think I'm going to bring out to this show. Right. And, and there's value to that. And so they need to kind of push that. And, um, and I think, you know, it's, everything's negotiable and like I've, I've been paid in wine and stuff like that for this fine. But and part of it is like, I don't, I don't care as much cause it's not my career, mm-hmm. but if you're really serious about it, you, these artists need to command more yeah. Yeah. and they need to show that they can bring more people. Oh, and that it is now a much more significant stream of revenue than in the past, because 20 years ago they had album sales and things like that, which just basically don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, do you use some of that expertise when you're booking your own band? Like, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, you're, we're uh, saying yeah. Let's sometimes, more. yeah. I yeah. I've so I talk talk, talk a little bit about you about yeah. about your band. You're in the band called LK Project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've I, I've been playing with. It's mostly just me and this other guy, and we've been playing. You can together. tell. You can tell us who it is. Uh, his name's Mike Lickus, okay. and we've been playing together since college. Mm-hmm. So over 25 years, we've been performing together in, in one form of a band or another. And we, the two of us, we we write our own music. And we've uh, we've produced um, four four albums of original music, and we've always found it's more fun to play our own stuff than to play somebody else's stuff. And we we feel like we've gotten better over time at, at writing music. Uh, right now we're a three piece group, um, so two guitars and a bass. It's acoustic. It's kind of singer songwriter stuff. Um, but uh, you know. It's some, one of the things, you know, we, we've done ticketed shows just for us mm-hmm. and we've made over a thousand dollars just charging. And so then I, the, for me, that's like, okay, I know what I'm worth. Yeah. I, I know people, we could make at least a thousand dollars if we just did our own show and, and promoted ourselves. And so if I'm going to go to a venue for me, that's like, um, that's, that's not my base point, but that's kind of my own frame of reference to what I'm, what we're worth as a band. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so that don't so, offer me a hundred bucks. Yeah, don't. No, I. But, but it depends. You know, if you're a friend or if it's a night. You know, it's like we just sometimes we just want to get out there. Sometimes you want to, people to hear your music, and so it's like you have to weigh the weigh those things. You know, so it's sometimes you take what you can get just to get your music out there. Um, but at a certain point, you have to make a living off of it if if that's what your goal is. Right. Um, and so I, I, I would, you know, anybody that's a, a really serious artist. They should rent a venue and sell their own tickets and see how they do, and and that's their base point. That's how that's how much advice. they know they're worth, mm-hmm. for sure. Where do you like to play? Uh, wineries are great. Mm-hmm. They, they do. They're very supportive of the the music industry. Uh, private parties. We've got. It's funny. We get a lot of gigs, so we'll play at a winery, and then somebody will say, "Hey, I've got a party coming up, and at my house, and could you play at our?" you know house we've done house concerts before so it's like it's kind of like well we could do like a party where it's just kind of background music or we could do a real house concert where you're everybody's seated in rows and watching us and 
we're playing original music. That's our preference. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we're kind of at a point where we've, we're lucky enough that we've worked together around. We have a pretty deep repertoire, so we we can do pretty much anything you need at this point. Cool. Yeah. And how much of your taking the job at the Bankhead was to get your band to play? <laughs> <laughs> I have played at the Bankhead on the stage before. Um, but uh, I, I try not to. Uh, it's funny. People will be like, oh, because we'll we do these courtyard concerts now with local music right. musicians and my staff. So oh, why don't your band, you should get your band to play. And it's, uh, I don't, that's kind of weird. I don't want to book myself. It's kind of a, feels like a conflict. But, uh, but, but, you know, I get booked enough. I'm out there enough. I, I'd rather, you know, these, some of these other artists are incredible. We had, um, you know, Meredith McHenry came yes. and she did one of our courtyard shows. And I was just like, I've seen her before, but with, with other groups and kind of as um, like the, the backup singer, kind of with some other musicians, but just by herself, just doing her own music. And I was just like, that's better than anything I've ever seen her in. She's an incredible singer, an incredible talent. and Great entertainer. Great entertainer. I'm yeah. thinking, why is she not more well-known? And, and some of it is, you know, she's just got to get out there. And I think she's doing it now. She's more serious about it maybe right. than she was in the past. But, um, like, people like that, like, I think the stuff I do, like, they, they just they blow me out of the water. I, I'd rather see that than somebody like me on the stage. And the, the truth is, there's some incredible talent in this region that really should be um, doing it for a living. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 hard, you know. The industry is just a tough industry to be in, but I sure wish they could. Yeah, yeah. they're that good. In the meantime, there's there's perks to playing at all the beautiful wineries and yeah. places around here. But yeah, you, know. you get free drinks and all that, and and it's uh, and it's fun, right? It is I mean, fun. Most of the people who show up at these gigs are from Livermore. Not all of them. Some of them. Actually, my observation over the last couple of years is an increasing number of them are from out of town. They heard about the live music scene in Livermore and they come check it out. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing more fun when a gig is over than wandering around the crowd and you know thanking people for hanging out, listening, but also getting the feedback from them because the the again, it's that sense of community here that that is just fantastic. It's so funny. When I graduated college, I was in this band and. It was like a, a five-piece band, and we were called Lindy's Kitchen. That's where LK Project comes from. Huh. And ask. it was like a it was a college band, and we were really rough around the edges, and we would just play anywhere we could get, and we'd play like at bars and these random venues. And the the weirdest thing show we ever did was a middle school dance, mm-hmm. and it was at Iron Horse Middle School in Danville. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't even. We just played our own music. They, we played all this music. They have no idea what we're playing, right? And it was the funniest thing. And I just keep thinking, yeah, this is what a lot of artists have to go through. And uh, I wish it was an easier path, but it's apparently it's not, right? And of course, you know, for then I mean, there's an area here of where artists want this to be their profession. This is their their income. And I think, I'm not sure what the number is, but I'm, I'm aware of about a half a dozen or so either people or groups in Livermore where that's what they're trying to do. If they're not there yet, they're they're trying to get there. And then there's another 50 or 60 or 80 bands, I don't know what the number is, that they're, you know, they're like my band. We're, we're a garage band. We're a pretty good garage band and we get we can get gigs pretty much where we want to here. Yeah. Um, but we all either have jobs or we're, we had jobs and now we're retired and we're not interested in another career. So most of the music here it's just people who do it out of love, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to make a whole bunch of money at this. 
in fact, in, like in my case, I assure you that over the course negative, of my right? yeah. big yeah. negative, talk to my wife. The, ho- the house <laughs> wins. <laughs> right. The house wins. Exactly. Um, but but there is a level here of of local musician that is doing it professionally. Yeah. And then, of course, you get into the to the spectrum of the bands that you book at um, uh, the Bankhead and on up from there. Yeah. it's Well, it's just a tough business. And, and the people that I know that are doing it professionally. They also like teach music on the side. There's something they still have that's like a backup. My um my uncle, this is an interesting story. So my I have an uncle who was in a heavy metal band in the 80s and 90s, uh, a kind of a speed metal band called Flotsam and Jetsam. And you might have heard of them. I mean, they were pretty big for a while. Mm-hmm. They toured with like Metallica, the the his best friend and, and the bass player was Jason Newstead who actually ended up on Metallica. Yeah. And he, he, they had several albums. They toured. They played in big arenas. And anytime they weren't on tour, he went and was a bricklayer, right? And so it was like he had mm-hmm. to do something because there was nothing. So even like at that level, like you, they're playing to audiences of thousands of people. And then when they're not playing, they still need another job. Oh, it's a rough business, it's, right? It's for, so for, hard. For every one person that's out there making a zillion dollars, yeah. there's... 9,999 people who are just barely keeping yeah. their nose above water. And there's so much out there's so many great talented people out there and that's kind of the the the, the fun thing about operating the bankhead is like we can we can plug into that. And the, the hard thing is there's only 365 days a year. There's like yeah, you know, I I get calls all the time from agents or you know, I got this artist they're coming through and I just can't book them because I don't have any space. Hey, Doug mentioned something I wanted to chase earlier. So out of every hundred people who come up to you and say, um, Chris, you should have XYZ play at the Bankhead. Out of a hundred people who say that, like how many of them is like, that's a good idea. I'm going to chase that. How many of them in your head are you thinking, uh, okay, if I get time, I'll, I'll think about it. And then how many of them are in your head? You're like, that's never going to happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of them are, it's never going to happen. Uh-huh. But you know what? I look every one of them up. Oh, I still... I still do my research. That's the I, artist in you, well, I think. There might be something I don't know or I'm not, you know, thinking of. Yeah. And I'm, there's there's things I like, but there's a lot of stuff out there that I, I don't like or listen to that is very popular. Right. And so why – I can't always trust my instinct. Um, most of the time my instinct's right, but you, know, you never know. And yeah. I do – and sometimes I'll – it's funny, someone will say, mention something to me and I won't really know about it and I'll mention it to somebody else and they'll go, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. And then, so okay, yeah. So people are thoughtful and they, they do need to think about, okay, it's a 500 seat theater. I'm not going to get Taylor Swift, which is, that's who Eric Swalwell suggested when uh, I met with him. So, who, you know, he's like, oh, I'm, I, I'd love to see Taylor Swift. Okay, well, that's out of my price range. $10,000 tickets. Yeah. Uh, at least. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever... Do you ever, though, get requests from artists who are looking for an uh, outstanding, intimate venue to play in, and they're willing to not make a million dollars that night just for the opportunity of playing in front of an audience like that? Sometimes. Um, you know, the, the tricky thing is it does, um, there is cost for us. Even if it's an inexpensive artist fee, mm-hmm. sometimes it costs, the production cost is higher than what I'm paying the artist. Yeah. And so I still have to cover that. And I'm, I don't want to, I don't mind kind of netting net zero, but I can't, it's hard to lose money. And sure. Especially for a nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough business. And and I want to, I want to pay my crew a fair wage. I want to pay the, the staff 
you know, it, it takes a lot to operate a theater. And what people don't understand all the time is a, a it's just as expensive to, op, expensive to operate a 500-seat theater as it is a 1,200-seat theater because we've got the same size staff. Right. I, I still need a box office. I still need a production manager. I still need a facilities person. I still need a house manager. I need everything that they need. Right. And I'm not making as much money because I don't have as many seats. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then uh, it's the same thing for a 250-seat theater. So they're in a tougher situation than I am. And so you really have to be thoughtful about who you book, and it has to make sense. Yeah. One thing, uh, before I lose the bubble on this, that I, if you haven't been to a show at the Bankhead Theater, um, and, you know, it could be a comedy show also. We were talking about live music because that's what this is yeah. about. But um, the Bankhead Theater is such an outstanding venue, right? There isn't a bad seat in the house. And then I think you combine that with, the quality of the crowds that come and people here just like to be entertained. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not, I've never been an artist on that side of it, but I remember I, so I was there one night I watched uh, Mark Cohn play. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think the crowd was just incredibly supportive of them and was showering love on them from the very beginning. And then somewhere in the middle of the show, I think during the intermission or whatever, they got word that um, their flight back that night had been canceled. They weren't leaving. So they came back out and they said, well, we thought we had to you know, run to the airport after this, but we don't. So we're going to play a little bit longer. And they played another 45 minutes, yeah. right? And I think that had to do with what an incredible venue it is and how much fun they were having playing in front of that crowd in that venue. It's just remarkable. Yeah, it's a... It's a great crowd, and, you know, and I would say it's we're very lucky in Livermore to have that space because most communities do not have a space like that. Right. And um, it's because of the support from the community that that space exists, and it's very rare to find an independent arts space like that that's a nonprofit um, that's that size uh, anywhere. I, I can think of a handful in California. Yeah. So we're extremely lucky to have it. And and it it would not exist if it wasn't for this community that you're talking about that just loves the arts and loves live performance. And, you know, you think about like, um, part of me feels like some of this came out of the fact that we have the Livermore Lab right here, right? Mm -hmm. So there's there's this highly educated population. They, they appreciate the arts. And we're a little bit too far away from San Francisco to just make that an easy jaunt to right. go see that. And so it's like, how do we bring it here? And uh, I think, you know, some of that, you know, the Livermore Cultural Arts Council came out of that idea. And then some of these other groups came out of that. And then the, the Bankhead Theater was really a result of all of, you know, 50 years of that, that interest. And, and making those things happen. So it's it's not like it just came out overnight. So kind of continuing along that line. So have you got big things on the horizon? I mean, I know it just on a day-to-day -day or month-to-month -month basis, it's about, you know, finding the talent, booking the booking the bands, dealing with, you know, dogs to pet and things like that. But um, are there are there long-term strategic goals that you're working on for for the Bankhead and its future? Yeah. So it's a couple of things. Um you know, originally our, our plan was always, you know, how can we be sustainable? Because we are, we, we live on what we make like everybody else. And operationally, a 500-seat theater cannot support itself without contributions. And um, uh, we've, it's interesting, this, this is, we're actually doing a press release on this. So with the pandemic, uh, it came a lot of hardship, but also came some opportunity. 
in that uh, we were able to get some some grants that we never would have gotten before. Oh. And uh, there was uh, one that came through recently, this Shuttered Venue Operators Grant. And it was a federal grant. And it was for any venue like ours, performing arts venue, that was closed because of the pandemic. And you could apply for it. And it was substantive. It was a lot of money. And so we applied for that. We all applied for the supplemental version of that. And we ended up just receiving $1.2 million in, in an award. Um, we also had that estate gift that came through. We've had some other very sizable gifts that have come in. And um, we've done, I have this fundraising background and we've been fun, while we're closed, we've been really working hard on that piece because we could still do that. And um, we kept our expenses down. And so now we're in this, a really positive position to where I can look look out and say, long-term, we're in good shape. I got an operating reserve. We're laying the seeds for an endowment. There's all these things that you need to really be sustainable for 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 everyone's lifetime. So we're we're there, which I'm feeling really good about. We're essentially there, and uh, there's not much more to do in that area. So then it's kind of like, okay, next, what do we want to do? And it's what kind of programming do we want to do for this community? And um, for me, it's you ask about like kind of what. What do we think about when we're booking? It's uh, we want to broaden our audience. We want to be um, an arts organization for everybody. So how do we be more contemporary and more relevant? And um, I love our current audience space. I think they're great, but I think there's a lot of people out there that haven't been able to experience what we can do. Right. So what can we do to to make it a more friendly space and to, to draw other people in that might not think about coming to that space? So we're we're working on that. Um, and then, uh, you know, we want to we want to be involved in the schools. We want to work with Las Positas College. We want to have programs where their people understand they can have a career in the arts and they can do internships at, at the Bankhead and learn about the field. Um, and so we're, we're trying to broaden our programming outside of the Bankhead Theater. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what you'll see next in the next few years is you'll see See us kind of popping up in other spaces that it's not just the bankhead. Um, it might be another facility somewhere else. It might be um, a partnership with another organization uh, that's uh, like-minded. And, um, you know, I just met, I just had a, a meeting this morning with the managing director of the Grand Theater at, at Tracy. And it's like, okay, how can we work together? What can we do to, to bring great artists and performers to both of our locations. Right. So there might be some some ways we can work together. And so so think kind of long term, that's kind of where we're going is we, no, it makes, we want to expand makes our footprint out. Really there. good sense. Yeah. Um, I'll just comment. So we have strategic discussions about um, who goes to see live music in Livermore, whether it be a, a single artist in a coffee shop all the way up through the, you know, through the big names that are, that are um, at the Bankhead and, and at Wente's. And um, part of the discussion is, well, how many, I mean, Livermore, there's 100,000 people here. How many of those people aren't aware of this? How many would go and, and either just go to the local winery and watch a band all the way up through, you know, go, go see one of these great names, but they don't understand, they don't know that this incredible music scene is out there. Um, uh, any thoughts that you ever have about that, not just for the Bankhead, but for the community in general? Uh, you know, let's let's stay in touch. Yeah, you know, um, one thing that's difficult in Livermore, and I, underst I totally understand it, but signage. 
you really think about it, there, there's, there is a signage ordinance yeah. in the city and for good reason, but it's like our space. It's, I, I still have people that, oh, where is the bankhead? And they're like Livermore <laughs> residents. Really? Right. It's the biggest yeah. building downtown, but yes. it's kind of set back and there's nothing really overt on the building that indicates what it is. And so we, we need to do a better job of, of putting a spotlight on these spaces. And I, I don't think we do that well enough. And I, I think that would make a big difference. And uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And it's a process. Um, you and I were talking before we started um, that I'm hoping over time in a reasonable way to engage the city and some of the, some of the other, uh, um, you know, organizations around the city to better appreciate that music in Livermore is a special thing. We're not just a community that has some bars and some bands. Again, all respect to other places, you know, that that have a lot of fine music, but we're not that. We're, I think Dave Haberman came up with the phrase, you know, the Austin of wine company or country. Um, you know, I'm not sure if that's entirely accurate, but I mean, it's close. Right getting there. from Austin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You are, you know. Um, but I mean, I, we're really special. And, and I'm not saying that. It's not Livermore Live Music trying to promote my website. I'm trying to shine a light on, or we're trying to help shine a light on what's in fact going on here. And I think it would, in addition to what you're talking about, it would help um, over time if we can help the city see that and start talking about the live music thing as another magnet for this incredible community here, along with the labs and the downtown and the wine country and the rodeo and all these other fantastic things that go on here. Yeah. I mean, it should be like a, a trademark for Livermore. I mean, this is, you know, if there was a slogan for Livermore, what would it be? And, and, I think what Haberman just said, you know, the Austin of wine country, you know, something like that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, by the way, my sister still lives in Austin and she sent me a text the other day and she's like at a bar and there's Jimmy Bond, like just performing in the corner yeah. and we've had him at our theater, but, but it's like, that's, that's Austin. So mm -hmm. that, just so you know, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of where, where, where they're, where they are as far as their level. But, uh, I, I agree. I, I think there is a lot of, um, opportunity here. And I, I think, the the businesses around the downtown and the wineries would probably uh, benefit from pushing more live music. I, I, they absolutely would. I mean, if yeah. you so, there's a few iconic places, and then a, a number of lesser known, but in the United States, so but Bourbon Street and Beale Street, yeah. um, and and Austin Sixth Street, uh, Sixth Street, yeah. yes, where. You know, th that's where you go. If you want to go on a music vacation, you go there and you rent a hotel room. And for a week, you just wander the streets and dive in and out of places, you know, looking at this incredible live music. You can do that in Livermore right now today. You know, any Friday or Saturday night on a warm evening, you know, walk First Street or, you know, be careful, have a designated driver, <laughs> but drive down Tesla, right? And you will find a ton of live music. If, um, if I had a couple million dollars right now in my bank account, I would open up a live venue like a smaller space somewhere downtown Livermore. So would I. Yeah, because I, I think it would do extremely well. And I think, by the way, um, when, with the hotel coming and with all the new housing that's going in and around the downtown, all of a sudden that population and that appetite for live music is just going to go up. Yeah. And I'm right there with you. In fact, maybe we should talk. Maybe we can, you know, invest. Get some events. <laughs> you know, you know, we can invest together. I mean, every musician, right, wants to own a bar where they're the, bar, where they're the house band, right? <laughs> Definitely. Um, I'm in. Let me know. Okay. Yeah, I'll play there. Cool. You got it. You got it. We'll get you out there. Hey, what, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Any points we've hit on that we didn't, we didn't dive into or any questions we should have asked that we didn't? Uh, you know, I think we, we covered everything pretty well. Um, 
any shout outs you want to give to your staff or people that, you know, I know that list is probably long and you're always afraid of leaving somebody off, but. Yeah, it is very long. Um, I, I, but we do have this incredible staff, especially the ones that, that hung on and, and came, the ones that hung on and stayed, like we're able to, we were able to kind of work through the pandemic and then, then the ones that waited to come back. Cause I know how hard that was. And, um, it, I was funny. I was like doing like reviews with some of them and I was like starting to cry because like, God, what you put up with to, to make this happen. And the truth is the the people that work at the bank head love it so much. They, it's such a precious jewel to them. And, and they want to make sure that it's um, sustainable, that it's successful, that it's well taken care of. You know, if somebody comes in and, you know, they don't, they don't want anybody to trash that space. You know, we, they, they really value it so much. And I, I can't say enough about the staff. They're, they're so good. And then the, the patrons and the donors and the members, like, would you be a member if there was like no place to go? I mean, that's, that was the thing that blew my mind. Our membership is the highest it's ever been. Yeah, and so I, I couldn't like when we were at, at our worst time, people stepped up the most and really helped us get through that. And you know that's and, and you know and, and then we had people like Doug, who just like yeah I'll film this. No, don't worry about the charge. We'll take care of it. We had uh, Uncle Credit Union was our season sponsor, mm-hmm. and I had to call them. I'm like I don't have a season for you. They said we're still doing it. You know, and we're going to renew for next year. And that was incredible. Um, and then, and then when we did that uh, fundraiser, we had like Fremont Bank and, and and some of these other donors, and just they all just stepped up. And you know, it's it's hard. and it's like for me, it's like, well, you're not even paying. You're just paying for us to like help us keep the staff here, and we're right. not even really doing that much. And they do, they wanted they valued what we did so much that they were willing to do that, and they wanted to be there. You yeah, know, when yeah. the night's over. Yeah, so to speak. And it's a shame, you know, you watch the news or you read a lot of the press and you just think the world's coming apart at the seams. And I don't know, maybe it is. But I mean, these things that we're talking about here don't get enough coverage. And all of the goodness and all of the, you know, the incredible charity uh, that people have for their communities and for their neighbors doesn't get enough press because, yeah. you know, that's really what the world is about. You, It does occur to me, I, I need to change my endowment because right now I'm an endowment member of the gym. I send them money every month, but I don't go. <laughs> so maybe I should change and yeah, just give switch that money over. to the bankhead. Yeah. Do you have? A, is there a treadmill back in a corner someplace, <laughs> just in case? You right? want me to get one? No. <laughs> it's on the rider. I, I still wouldn't use it. Yeah, put it on your rider. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, it's just um, the, the one thing about, and we were talking about this before we started this, is just like how art and music and and they, it's like, it's not political. There's nothing about it. It just, it makes you feel good. It reminds you what it, what it means to be human and how to enjoy life and enjoy things in life. And oftentimes we're reminded of, of these other parts of our lives that are not enjoyable. And, uh, you know, I was telling you about tape face and there's like 500 red balloons flying around. Like, it's like, who doesn't love balloons? And it's like, you know, you could be five, you could be 95 you could be left, right, whatever. I'm gonna like, I'm gonna hit that balloon. Yeah. It's just gonna feel good, and I'm not gonna think about anything else at the time. And sometimes that's what art can do for you. Other times it can make you think, 
and it can change your mind. Right. It can move you in a way that an argument might not. And, um, and it can open your eyes to things that you otherwise wouldn't have oh, been willing to, yeah. to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they use in other countries where there's um, uh, dictatorships and, and there's not a lot of freedom of speech. It's the arts is the way that that that's how they move people right in a certain direction. And um, sometimes it's the only way you could move somebody. So, so on the one hand, it helps you forget about things. On the other hand, it, it helps you be a better person. Right. And so what's, like, like what bad can you say about it? So I, I love it. I, I work in the the best, most fun, exciting industry. Man, it sounds like you got a great job. Yeah. You know, yeah. I couldn't be more pleased. Keep well, it listen, up, Livermore. Yeah, yeah thank you. Absolutely right. Thank you yeah. so much. Sure, thank for you. being here. This has been a lot Hope of fun. I didn't go too long. Really oh no, 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 no. This was you know okay. a very interesting conversation. I, I want to cut half of this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope people um, stayed for the whole thing because I think there was a lot of interesting discussion here. So again, thank you so much. Sure, thank all you. Right. Cheers, we'll see you all next time. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.